Please, would you keep that passage open from Ephesians chapter 4? What we're going to do on Sunday evenings for the next few weeks is pick up where we left off last time, uh, going through the book of Ephesians. And so we're starting the second half of Ephesians, which is chapter 4. So, as I said, please, would you turn to it? We're going to begin at verse 1. Isn't that amazing? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Please help us now as we come to terms with what you're saying to us. Uh, Father, help us to recognize that you're speaking to us through this passage of the Scriptures. And Father, that you're present here by your Spirit. And so, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will work in each of our hearts. Not just address our minds, but address our hearts. So you change our desires, and so change what we do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever had that experience where somebody asks you a question and it becomes a kind of defining question? It just pulls you up short. Have you had that kind of experience? Sometimes they're really unnerving questions, aren't they? I had that experience, it's actually 20 years ago, which shows how old I am. You know? um, it's almost exactly 20 years ago. I was doing some visits with a guy who was working in the church with me back in the UK, and we were visiting this young family who'd approached the church about getting their child baptized. And so we'd done these sessions about who is Jesus, why did he die, about the resurrection, about what he means to have faith in Jesus. So it was kind of mini alpha in their home. And it was going really well. And Darren, who is the guy I was working with, um, we were both really, really excited at the way this couple were asking questions and the way they were engaging and the way the Lord seemed to be working in their lives. And in fact, we'd got to the last session of the series and they'd said, we'd love to do more. And so Darren was going to pick up where I left off and he was going to carry through for another series. So last, last session... <coughs> And as we started off, this young dad turned to me and he said, here's the question. Graham, what difference will it make to me if I become a Christian? What difference will it make to me if I become a Christian? It's a great question, isn't it? And you know, he wasn't asking a question about where will I go when I die? He wasn't asking a question about the forgiveness of sins. He was asking a question about how he lived his life. What difference will it make to my life if I become a Christian? That's a really, really important question, isn't it? How will it affect my relationships? How will it affect the 90% of my life, the 95, the 97% of my life that isn't spent in church? If you're married, how will it affect your marriage? How will it affect the choices you make? How will it affect work? If you've got children, how will it affect your children? If you've got parents, how will it affect that? What difference will it make to my life if I become a Christian. Some of you may 
actually be asking that question. If I give my life to Jesus Christ, if I become a follower of Jesus, what difference will it make? How will it impact my life? Some of you may already have asked that question and struggled with it. There are all kinds of things you could say, aren't there? You could say, well, if you become a follower of Jesus Christ, then the Bible should become a life to you, and talking to Jesus should be something that you start doing. If you're a drug dealer, it's probably a good thing if you stop being a drug dealer. It, it might have a major impact on your career profile if you're a drug dealer. Maybe you have a new sense of joy, of hope, of peace, sense of the forgiveness of sins. It changes you like that. Something I didn't say to Andrew, that was his name, 20 years ago, that I really wish I'd said. And it's this. Andrew, if you become a follower of Jesus Christ, all those kinds of things about the Bible and about a hope for the future, they'll all be true. Things will change like that. The Holy Spirit will come into your life. But in terms of the way you live your life, the thing that's probably going to change your life more than anything else and impact absolutely everything, your marriage, your family life, your work, everything, is church. Because when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you join this community of people called the people of God, called the church. And that will change your life. That's what Paul's talking about here at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4. Have a look at it. He says, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Live up to your calling. What is the calling that Paul's talking about? Well, he's talking about the way that they've become Christians. They've responded to the message of the gospel, the call, and they've given their lives to Jesus Christ. And he says, I want you to live that out. And what does that mean? To live out that calling. Well, look at how he goes on. Be completely humble, verse 2, and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And then here it is. Make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He's talking there about church see, what's happened is that God has worked and brought together a group of people in a whole series of local gatherings, St. Stephen's, for example, and he's brought them into this amazing body called the church. And Paul is saying here, your calling as a follower of Jesus Christ 
is to play your role in ensuring that the church is the church and becomes more and more the church that is called to be. The church becomes authentic, that comes real. That that work that the Spirit of God has done continues to function in this local community called the church. Your purpose, Paul is saying, is to center your life around church, and that will change your life. Wow. When did you last hear that? I think I have gone through most of my life and never heard that. Never heard that. I've heard an awful lot of talk about how when you become a Christian, you have peace with God and guilt is dealt with and an assurance of when you die, you go to heaven. And But I think I went for a very long time before anybody ever said that. Your purpose that will change your life is to be devoted to this people of God called church. Not a building. Church is people. Not a series of programs. Not getting on the council, although that's a great thing to do. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about people, relationships. You may be thinking, really? <laughs> Does he really mean that? Well, have a look at the intensity with which he says it. Verse 1, he speaks as a prisoner for the Lord. I love that. Actually, I hate it, really, because it's really strong, isn't it? A prisoner for the Lord. Paul has had his heart captured by Jesus Christ. That's what a Christian is. It's one way of defining what it means to be a Christian. I've had my heart captured by Jesus. And he's my everything. I'm his prisoner. The prisoner of love. Because he's loved me and poured out his love for me. And his love has captured my heart. Paul is in a Roman prison because Jesus captured his heart and Paul has fallen in love with the cause of Jesus, which is the church. When your heart's captured by Jesus, then you start to love what Jesus loves. And Jesus loves the church. You, me, us. You may still be saying, really? I'm supposed to give my life to the church? Well, yes, really. You know, there is nothing like the church. Some of you might be thinking, church? I, I mean, I could get a job as an engineer. That would be really important. That would give me status and kudos. Or I could get my job in a, a job in a university. Or I could work as an accountant. Or I could do all kinds of things. I could become a mother, I could become a father, I could get married, I could get rich and famous. There is nothing like the church in nobility, value, purpose, and identity. 
Nothing like the church, nothing compares to the nobility of the church because it's the creation of God. Have a look at it. Verse 4, one spirit. It's the creation of the spirit. One Lord. It's the creation of Jesus, the Son of God. One God and Father in verse 6. Father of all who is over all and above all and through all and in all. The church is the result of the work of God himself who's been working before the creation of the world to bring about his supreme creation, which is church. Isn't that amazing? If I was feeling really brave, I'd say, have a look around at each other. Just look at each other and measure up what you see. We're a small group of people. 5.30 church. We are the creation of God. That can be said of nothing else to that degree. Because you see, God has invested himself in this in a way that he hasn't anything else. The church is the creation of God. There's nothing like the church in its vision and purpose. Verse 4, we're called to one hope. You know, the church is the future. It's where the future is broken in. It, it's where we get a glimpse of what the universe will one day be like, where everything is united under Christ, where there's no crying and there's no pain and there's no fragmentation, there's no evil, there's no destruction, there's no distortion. There are no broken people anymore. And in the church, that future has already broken in. I don't know of anybody else, any other institution, any other organization, any other group that has a vision of the future like that. Because there isn't one that compares, is there? One day every tear will be dried and one day... Every broken heart will be mended and one day there'll be no more death and no more crying and no more pain, no more brokenness, no more evil. And the church is where we are to get a glimpse of that future. You see, that hope for the future of what's going to happen is to motivate how we operate in the present Nothing compares with the church in terms of its nobility because it's the creation of God. Nothing compares in terms of its vision and its purpose. And nothing compares in its identity. Verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Our ruler is Jesus Christ. Can you have a greater ruler than that? Can you have a higher allegiance than Jesus? The church says, you are our Lord. Our allegiance is with you. Nothing compares to that. One manifesto that's unlike any other manifesto 
Notice what it says in verse 5. One faith. That is our manifesto. We believe in Jesus Christ. Crucified. Risen. Ascended. Lord of all. Who one day will be revealed as ruler over all. Who has called us into a relationship with him. To share in his purposes here and now. And invites people to come and experience that new life in Jesus. There is no manifesto that compares with that, is there? No creed. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Our citizenship is greater than any other citizenship. And baptism is our citizenship ceremony. Some years ago, I became an Australian. Not everybody believes that. <laughs> Although I was very disturbed the other week when somebody said uh, I'd got an Australian accent. I, I wasn't quite <laughs> sure what to do with that. Uh, but I went to a citizenship ceremony. I participated because I was being made a citizen. And I had to swear allegiance to become an Australian citizen. That citizenship ceremony is about a person saying, I give my allegiance to Australia, and where Australia, through its representative, says, you're one of us. And by the way, here's a certificate that you can frame. And I even have a photograph with the rest of the family with the Lord Mayor of Willoughby, in all his regalia. It's magnificent. If you're a Christian, baptism is your citizenship ceremony. Baptism is therefore a political act. Because when you get baptized... Your allegiance is being given to one Lord, Jesus Christ. You are declaring that you are a citizen of the city of Jesus. And you follow him. And the implication of that is if there is ever a conflict between your citizenship and allegiance of the Lordship of Jesus and any other claim on your life, any other creed, then Jesus wins in your life. That's why Paul's in prison. Because he's a prisoner of Jesus. His heart has been captured by Jesus, and he has become a citizen of the city of Jesus this new people, this new community, this new nation, this empire, if you like. We belong to the empire of Jesus. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is nothing like the church. You and I can devote our lives to all kinds of things. But nothing compares to this. And it will affect every area of a person's life.
So what difference will it make if I become a Christian? Church. Really? Well, nothing compares with the church. Third thing. What's God asking you to do? What's God asking you to do if you're a follower of Jesus? And the answer is this. To play your part in making the church the church. See, the church has already been brought into existence. It's a work of God. It's his creation. But we are to be at work maintaining what God has done. And what God is calling every single person who's a follower of Jesus to do, who's a citizen of this city of Jesus, is to play our part in making the church the church so that the church flourishes. Why does that matter? Does it matter? Well, yes, it does, because the church is the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world. Because in the church, people get a glimpse of what the future looks like. They get a real demonstration, however impoverished at times it is, a real demonstration of what God does in people's lives, how he changes people, of a new community. And they hear a message of hope and love and peace and joy. The church is the hope of the world, and if the church is not being the church, then the world suffers. Yes, it matters. And it matters because there are forces of fragmentation around. If you have a look at verse 14, look at what Paul says here. He has this description here where he mixes two metaphors, really. There's the metaphor of the infant, the child, vulnerable, being tossed around, can't stand on their own. And it's the vision of being on a boat at sea in a storm. And he talks about being tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of doctrine and teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. There are all kinds of forces at work both outside and sometimes inside the church that will seek to stop the church being the church. And that's why every single one of us needs to play our part to enable the church to be the church, to maintain what God has done, the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The church is the hope of the world. There are forces at work that would destroy the church and every citizen is called to play a role. You have a role to play. You have a role to play in this. And the church only thrives when every citizen is acting out their citizenship. Look at verse 16. For from him, that is from Jesus, from Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. So he's using the image of the church as a body held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up. Notice this. 
as each part does its work. What's God calling you to do? If you're a follower of Jesus, to play your part in enabling the church to thrive, to flourish, to be the church. So what should you do? I've got three things to finish off very quickly. Number one, check your attitude. Check your attitude. I've come across people from time to time who think the church is beneath them. There are more important things, more pressing things to do with their life than the church. Look at what Paul says in verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Check your attitude. Begins with humility. And because church is about people, you need lots of gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love because, frankly, we can all be very awkward and problematic and messy can't we? So check your attitude. Number two, discover your gifts. Verse 7 says, to each one of us, grace has been given. Grace there means gift. You've all received a gift. Find your gifts. And then thirdly, get equipped. Verse 11 Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for ministry, for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. He's provided people, missionaries, if you like, those who have those kinds of gifts, prophets, those who will speak into a congregation, given the culture that they're in and give direction be able to bring the word of God to them. Evangelists, those who go out and know what it is and have the gift to be able to reach out with the message of Jesus to people. Pastors, those who shepherd God's people. Teachers, those who will teach the word. He's provided those so that we might be equipped to do what God has called us you to do so check your attitude discover your gifts get equipped and then do it do it what difference will it make if I become a Christian church we need to do it. To play our part in ensuring that the church is the church. Because the church is the hope of the world. Let's pray.